1: Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I will sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual
0: recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the
1: big silence. Hey, it's Karina here. Welcome back to the Big Silence Pod. I am just sitting here. On my couch in my office at the end of a beautiful Tuesday. And I was sitting here just reflecting, because I want to start the pod with this. Shout out. I don't know if you listened to the podcast with my friend Jenna Ballard from who founded ALA Ascension Learning Academy. But shout out to you and your team of twenty four students. It was one of the largest fundraisers we've done for the big silence thus far. and, from 24 strangers really putting their heart and soul for a mission that they believe in surrounding mental health and personal development. And just know to Jenna and all of your team and all of those who donate to the Big Silence, you are providing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people therapy for all through our programming. So thank you. And now, so this week's podcast, I'm very excited when I heard I was going to be interviewing Chris Carr. I've been following Chris for many years. She has so many books. I can't remember the first one that I read. But then she came on and she's like, oh yeah, I've been following you and Tone It Up for years. And she does the app. And we just had such a great conversation. She's a New York Times bestselling author, wellness coach, a cancer thriver. She's also one of Oprah's Super Soul 100. She's a thought leader, uh, her new book is coming out, and I really connected with her on this since I am approaching the two-year anniversary of my own mother's passing on September 15th, right before her book comes out on the 17th, I believe. And we talked about, you know, all of her mourning and opportunities to mourn and how to turn that around, and she uh, the passing of her father recently, and... Yeah, so Chris is, in this podcast, we talk about channeling fear and anxiety and the difference between getting over and getting through it, which I think is really important. And ways to deal with grief and loss and how it shows up in your body. I know a lot about that. It shows up in my body for real. But she has literally been someone who's had the rug pulled out from under her feet. She has been a stage... For diagnosis for cancer for 20 years and she is here making a difference in the world love you chris thank you for being on the pod and um just sharing your beautiful purpose in with everyone here so listen up and of course share this podcast with a friend or a loved one who may enjoy it and leave a review love you. All right, welcome to the podcast, Chris Carr. We were just talking about how we've followed each other for many, many years. And it's an honor to have you on The Big Silence. It's an honor to be here, Karina. Yeah, I feel like there's so many similar, well, one part of your new book, I'm Not a Morning Person, is grief, which I want to get there and talk about that. Because I feel like in our friend group, age group, there's a lot more grief happening to all of us. So I think it's really important to open up and open that conversation. But first, I I remember your story way back where you were diagnosed with cancer. Can we talk about that a little bit about your
0: background? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those there were warning signs and then you go straight into the heart of the wake up call and life changes. And in the beginning it changes in such a big way. You don't think you're going to survive it. And, and then on the other side, it's like, wow, this was kind of this. There's so many wonderful things that came from the experience. And so I was in a very different career, living a very different lifestyle. Wellness was not even on my radar, martinis and cigarettes and bad men and like all the things. All the good stuff. All the things. Living in New York City. I was an actor and a dancer and photographer and I was just, you know, trying to get my career off the ground and I figure I would like figure out fiber later, right? But but not now, baby, because I got big things to do. And then um, I wasn't feeling well for quite some time, but I kept sort of ignoring the symptoms, ignoring how I was feeling. What were you feeling? I had some pains and I had some, you know, just some, I had fatigue. I had some stuff that was going on that um, could have been something else, quite honestly. And so I just didn't really pay attention. Um, The last thing you think is going to be incurable stage four cancer. I was 31. Um, And and then on Valentine's Day, I got the news because I finally hauled my ass to the doctor. I got the news that I have a very rare and incurable stage four cancer. And that's when the journey began. That's when I really changed my life. I made a film about it. I've written lots of different books, some for cancer patients, some for folks interested in prevention. And um, I left my career and I started documenting my journey. In the beginning, I was given 10 years to live. The first doctor suggested a triple organ transplant it was a lot of radical news coming my way really quickly, and twenty years later, I still live with stage four cancer. So amazing and crazy, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be at times. It's wow. And so, do you know what type of cancer? Or was it- I have a very rare sarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer, and you know, it can be aggressive, it can be slow growing and it can change. So I have, I mean, I do feel lucky that it's been slow growing and pretty much stable for the last 20 years. And again, that could change sometime, but right now today, I feel good. And I've spent the last 20 years teaching other people how to feel good in essence.
1: Yeah. What do you think the, like maybe two or three major things and changes and shifts I mean, obviously you stop smoking
0: cigarettes and
1: <laughs> you know, all the all those things, but like that you really started to focus on your health.
0: Yeah. So I radically changed my diet. It didn't change completely overnight because I had to figure out what to eat and kind of teach myself how to take care of myself. Um, self-care used to be what do I eat to stay slim for my job. It would be like, oh, I'll just eat power bars, like three power bars and a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like it was bad because a big part of my career is I was a professional dancer. So right.
1: There's a lot of pressure there on your your body. and Tons like, of
0: pressure. Tons I was, of pressure. I was a model in my early 20s. I get it. You but, get it. Yeah. Absolutely. So first it was like, okay, what should I actually eat? How do I nourish my body? And I think at the essence of what I practice and what I teach is an anti-inflammatory plant-based diet. So that was number one. Number two, like anybody dealing with a health crisis, diagnosis, a radical change in their life, a grief, big loss, all of the stuff that you so beautifully talk about and shine a light on and help people with, I really had to learn how to work with the fear and anxiety that I was feeling as a result of living with something like stage four cancer. And so, spending a lot of time learning how to work with that those emotions, but also you know in meditation and mindfulness, and just finding ways and practices to kind of come back to the present moment when I would find myself spiraling down the, the rabbit hole, so that was a very big part too,
1: yeah, I'm going back to food, and you wrote a you have a recipe book, right, or a nutrition. I have, yes.
0: I have two books. Crazy Sexy Diet kind of outlines um, the plan and then Crazy Sexy... Oh, I have three books actually. <laughs> Crazy, Sexy <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Sexy Kitchen has a lot of great plant-based recipes and then Crazy Sexy Juice is all like juice and smoothies.
1: You know what? Nutrition is so important. So as you know, and I, we're going to get to you being a caregiver for your dad for four years, but I was also a caregiver for my mom the last five years of her life. And I was told by the doctors that she had two weeks to live and I went to her cabin up in Washington and saw, um, I saw just, you know, microwave meals, crackers, beef jerky, vodka bottles, this, that. And so at the hospital, when they told me she had two weeks, I started bringing her green juice. And she was like, and my my mom couldn't even walk to her bathroom in her hospital room at that point. And she's like, ew, this is disgusting. I was like, just keep drinking it. And then I would just I was like once she was able to be out of the hospital after three months and I had her with assisted care before I was able to get her on her own in her own home. And then she could walk again, she could move. I got her to like lift water bottles and like do all the things. And it it's amazing how she then lived five years after a given two years or two weeks. So yeah, I think the importance and emphasis of Healthy eating is really important to share, and meditation. I mean, you know, I want to get into. uh, We can even talk about fear and anxiety, which is your chapter three in the um, in your book, and how calming your nerves and your body can be really healing as well. And yeah, absolutely, yeah. So we'll just jump to there. So. I know before this we we're talking about like our age group and our friends. We are dealing with a lot of grief, a lot of more fear of health and this, and everyone's talking about, you know this and the difference between fear and anxiety. Can we talk about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a quick step back because what I had talk about before we get into fear and anxiety, and the way my new book is broken down is each chapter. It's very story heavy because I love to teach through stories and my own experiences, but also each chapter is broken down into these are the types of emotions and types of experiences you may have when the rug gets pulled out from under you. It's not all the experiences, but these are some common ones and these were some common experiences for me and what happened, how I approached it, and how I was able to move through it. Not get over it, but move through it. Because I think there's a very big difference there. And what I talk about first is that each and every one of us, at some point in our life, we're going to experience some sort of what I call rupture. And it's that moment when the shit hits the fan. It's that moment when things change radically. It's the moment you get the diagnosis. It's the moment you, know, you lose a child. It's the moment you lose your livelihood. It's the moment your partner walks out. It's that moment where there's a rupture that happens. And sometimes when it happens, we may feel like this is too big to survive. And if I do survive it, I'll never be the same. And the truth is, is that we won't ever be the same. But there is an opportunity to keep growing and to keep living. And from what I have experienced, to continue to live fully really fully. Um, And so that's the promise of this book is like, how do we cope when the big stuff goes down and how do we come out or work with it or work through it in a way where we're able to fully integrate parts of ourselves? Maybe it's old wounds, maybe it's old griefs, maybe it's old traumas. And the truth is, is that life is a terminal condition. We're all going to die. That is, we're all going in the same direction, but how many of us are going to live along the way? And I've made such a deep commitment to myself to live by that motto. Um, But sometimes you can go back to sleep. I've been living with cancer for 20 years. It's not something that scares me anymore. It was losing my dad that actually brought me back to, oh my gosh, I were to calculate it. How many weeks do I have left? My average lifespan is, let's say I live to 90. How many weeks have I lived so far? How many weeks do I have left? What are things I want to be doing with my time? What are things I really don't want to be doing with my time? And how can I like become a lot more connected to that? And so, a lot of backstory there, just to sort of say, why are we, why are we talking about fear and anxiety? And maybe somebody doesn't necessarily connect to that, although I'd be surprised. <laughs> um,
1: well, a lot of people are just learning about anxiety too, and the difference. Between they have the fear versus anxiety, but maybe they don't have a name to it and they don't understand it. And once you understand, like, oh, this is anxiety. Oh, this is fear. Then you can navigate through it.
0: In my yeah, opinion. exactly, exactly. Especially when those moments happen, right? And they they're big. They're small. Like we don't ever want to compare our ruptures, compare our shit pickles, because like it does the sh- the shit pickle that you're experience experiencing an injustice. Like, oh, mine isn't as bad as as hers. So what do I have to complain about? Like, no, we're not doing that. Right. So let's talk about fear and anxiety. Um, We all have experienced both of them. And I think the most important thing is to understand that they're there to keep us safe. I'm not a fan of anybody who's like, hey, eradicate this emotion. You know, become fearless. You can completely savage. Yeah, be savage.
1: these <laughs> yeah, a... <laughs> like, like, my oh. friends are like, what's your savage? You're such a savage. And my husband's like, Karina, you're not a savage. Like, you're a very soft, gentle, empathic person. So you don't call yourself a savage. You're a soft very savage. <laughs>
0: I'm like, oh, my savage is napping. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my savage activity for the weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we have all of these norms that we have to fight, quite honestly. Um, we live in, I think, a very binary world where we're either like a savage or we're, you know, we're a loser. And, and, and that's just like so destructive, destructive to me. But anyway, we know that these emotions are designed to keep us safe. Right? it's it's part of the evolutionary process that got us to where we are today. And that's why one of the things I talk about in the book is that we can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole. Right? We can't amputate the grief and expect to be whole. We can't amputate fear and anxiety and expect to be whole because they're there for a reason. Um, and so fear Comes on, usually in a moment. You know, the deer jumps in in front of you when you're driving. Uh, something happens and it startles you awake. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And oftentimes, like a fear hangover, because of all of the stress horm- hormones that flood your body to get you to do what: fight, flight, freeze, or WTF? If you're me, you know. <laughs> and so. We can say, oh, wow, thank you, fear. This is, this is what happens in my body. I start to sweat, right? I, my heart starts to race. You know, like a, a lot of physical things happen in my body. Oh, thank you, brain. Thank you, body. This is what you do when I'm experiencing fear. Anxiety is very similar to fear, except the difference between fear and anxiety is anxiety can be fear about something that may or may not happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know it well. You know it well. And so if it may not happen, what do we end up doing though? We end up potentially ruminating, spending time in that story, staying stuck in that mental process. And what I love when I'm working with my own anxiety is just to sort of say, is that happening right now? Could it? Yeah, could it happen in the future? Sure, but is is." cancer spreading throughout my body right now. Cause like I could easily, like I had a fatty lump here. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I felt it, I was like, that's it. It's end times, you know, cancer spread. It's everywhere. You know? And I met with my oncologist. He's like, sorry, but it's a fatty tumor. You know, he didn't say sorry. He's like, don't worry. It's a fatty tumor. Yeah.
1: I have like little, my dad gets them to like little fatty things and like, I'm like, I'm
0: dying.
1: And the doctor's like, it's, it's where your fat is being deposited. You can remove it or you can leave it. I'm like, okay, I'm not.
0: You're not dying. But see, what's so funny is our mind very rarely tells us the good stories. It tells you that you're dying and it does that because it wants you to like take action, right? Well, if you're dying, you better be hyper vigilant. You better figure it all out. You better double down. You better, like, I don't know, give away all your good jewelry. Instead of saying, okay, right now in this moment, I am not dying. What I can do is make an appointment with my doctor just to check it out. But right now in this moment, there's tools that I can use to self-soothe and bring myself back to center. And what do you do? For me, it will be a couple of things. For me, it's usually just saying literally, oh, this is anxiety. This is what my brain does. Taking a few deep breaths. Also, this is so up your alley. You can't always change the problems of the mind with the mind, right? So movement, movement, go out for that walk, go out, go, go do a 10 minute workout with you, you know, and like go on your toning up app. Like you got to change the fucking channel when it's coming in hard. And I think movement is one of the best ways to do that. Absolutely. Um, so those are just a couple of ideas there. Another thing that I do, because I always, I always will experience that sort of racing anxiety before, um, like I get scanned every five years. So I have a scan coming up. So before that, I'm probably going to feel heightened anxiety and that's okay. Right. But I love to do mirror work, literally looking into the mirror and saying, I love you, Chris. I got you. No matter what that report says, no matter what the doctor shares, I got you. We're going to get through this. And just like, continuing to to self soothe and come back. Because I feel like for me specifically, when I'm flooded by emotion and I'm not able to manage my fear and anxiety, I abandon myself. Right? Because that is my generational trauma. So I completely check out, disassociate and abandon myself in unhealthy ways. And that mirror work keeps me connected so that I don't.
1: Right. that's so important, too, when you have that fear or anxiety come on to not abandon yourself. Do those things, whether it's moving your body, take a cold shower, meditate, like, get in, like, I um, and I know I've learned, like, when I have PTSD, and I've worked through some of it, of the trauma with my mom. I've done, like, EMDR and all the therapies, but then I have other triggers from other things in life, and I'm like... This is what's happening. I um, tell my husband, I'm like, I'm starting to have a panic attack. I know I'm safe, but it's in my body, so now I have to like get it out and like calm my mind. And um, I've realized just recently too, like some other traumas that I need to work through. So I'm
0: gonna go back to some of that therapy. But beautiful. I mean. I'll join you. I, we all have them. So, you know, it's wonderful. I think the biggest thing is that it's beautiful that you're willing to not not only share that but then say and I'm going to get support there because I know that support will help me feel better and and that's the point.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important for anyone to not hold it in and to have that support, number one, th- friends, family, feel open about talking how they're feeling. Because I used to hide my anxiety, too, because I thought there was something wrong. And, like, I would have major vagus nerve, like, can't lift my arm, you know, um, that stuff, or nauseousness. And But it gets better now because I'm like,
0: I see you coming. I'm like, you're not going to get me this time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You know, another tip too that I want to just throw out there is or a resource and person that i I got a lot from when I was doing this, really the research of this book because I knew these things on the periphery, but going through my own experience of loss recently and then being willing to write about it made me go, all right, i want I want to explore this more and understand a lot more. Um but Dr. Judson Brewer. He, I talk about him in the book, and he he really breaks down anxiety in a way where he says that it can be almost like habitual, almost like it becomes habit forming because when we're constantly replaying um, those tapes, you know, we're just feeding it more, and it's just like every habit it has a a trigger, right? A behavior and a reward, and the reward doesn't necessarily feel rewarding, but it could be that it has a result. Right. So you're stressed at work. What do you do? You come home, you have a glass of wine. The stress is the trigger, the wine is the behavior. The result is you're, you know, relaxing, numbing out, so forth and so on. But we know that if that's something that you're doing over and over again and maybe increasing the volume of it, it's a habitual pattern that's resulting from stress and anxiety. So I love, I just share that because I think his work is really v- valuable. Not that all anxiety is like, oh, ha- habitual. There is obviously full-blown anxiety disorders, but I think that there's value there. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, you mentioned your grief and your father. Were you really close with your dad?
0: Yeah, very, very close. He was my chosen father. So yes.
1: Yeah. Can we talk about grief? Because I think it's so important. Um 'Cause grief is not linear. And I've, as you know, um, actually September fifteenth is my mother's two year, I don't know if you call it anniversary of passing. Your book comes out September 19th. It's kinda of, <laughs> but um I, through therapy after my mom passed, you know, I worked with a grief therapist and she said, Year one, you're kind of numb and you're in this survival mode, and then actually year two is harder than year one because you have survivor's guilt.
0: But I don't, when did your father pass? My father passed um, in 2021 in February. Okay. So, so we're, we're I guess I'm in two and a half now. Yeah.
1: And you were a caretaker to him. How was that?
0: Well, my mother was the main caretaker by far, um, and um but I've, i was a very big part of the experience of all the decisions that needed to be made and you know we moved closer to be closer to them to be able to be more supportive spend more time and so forth and um you know i think because i had the opportunity to navigate all of the different things that were coming up for me emotionally along the way um beginning with anticipatory grief feeling guilty to when we were even together feeling some of the survivors' remorse that you mentioned when we were together because i knew his disease was terminal and i could be having a conversation with him and then and thinking about when he wasn't going to be here and then feeling really guilty that i wasn't fully present and that you know maybe my thoughts would manifest his early demise you know you like go to all these different places and so navigating anticipatory grief navigating my own trauma around abandonment because i met my biological father much later in life and you know our relationship ended as well like a, for a second time after i met him and so and then not long after that he passed so navigating some of my own tra- own trauma and one of the things that my therapist shared that i talk about in the book is She said, you know, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, Carol, say all the things. What does that mean? Tell me. She said, it's the old stuff. It's old griefs that you don't even know are in your body that you, some of them you thought you were over. Like, wait a minute. Why the fuck am I crying about this thing? Like, I am so over that. You know, it's the old stuff, but it's also the other emotions. And that's why I call it, you know, braving lost grief, and the big messy emotions that happen when life falls apart. These other messy emotions that come with grief, like rage. How much fucking rage was I feeling, you know? So that, to your point, like, I started really doing the work, the grief work, long before he died um, because I knew what was happening. And I, it was a loss so devastating to me that I was like, I can't do this alone.
1: Yeah. There's a thing that comes up when you're um, losing a parent and it's a conversation that maybe a child or a partner or someone has to have with them when you finally have the courage to talk about death. I'm sure you had to have that conversation with your father as I had to have it with my mother. It's a really hard topic to bring up and no one told I no one told me how to do it or what to say. I just had to walk myself through it. Any advice
0: there? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's very brave that you even had the conversation because I think more often than not people who are dying may want to have the conversation. And it's the people who are living who are too afraid to do it because we're afraid we're going to get it wrong. Not everybody's dying wants to talk about dying, but some do. And I think what will happen is the person who is going through that final transition can feel very other and very lonely. And so I started by having a conversation about the conversation so in my book, I call it talking about talking about it, and it was like a, it was like the pre-show warm-up. <laughs> you know, it was the dress rehearsal. It was, hey, Dad, and I knew that he, this was something he wanted to talk about. Um, and it took me a while to be able to have the talking about talking about a conversation, but then, as soon as I started to. Learn from the hospice nurses and hospice doctors and how they were being so candid and not like, oh, let's go in the other room with family members and not let the person who's dying hear any of this. You know, it was like we were the we were there, but they were talking directly to him. Like, do you know this is happening? We're here to tell you how it's going to go down. Like, these are the types of things that you're going to experience in your body. And I was so rattled by that because I couldn't. I mean, talk about a conversation about radical candor. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like We try to do that at work, but like, I have never seen radical candor like that. And then in such a loving way too. And so. Yeah. Hospice stuff is,
1: I'm like, I was talking to them at the hospital because uh, I was with my mom her last three days. I'm like, you, your job, like you are so loving and caring and you you have death every day. Like, why? Like, how do you do it? Why? And they're like, because we care and we've all experienced it and we know how to walk people through it from family members to, you know, anyone in hospice. So, shout out to hospice.
0: So, such a big shout out. And now, death doulas too. There's so many wonderful death doulas out there. And, but anyway, I started by having the conversation and I said, I'm going to need tissues. There's going to be tears. I might not get it right. I'm scared. But I'm totally willing to have this conversation if that would be meaningful. And he said, "Yes, very meaningful." Because as I shared earlier, he said this can be really lonely. So that's how we started.
1: So you mentioned might not get it right. I've I've experienced as I'm fairly young. I know a lot of um, you know people lose their parents. At, I mean, I'm 42 now. She was four, I was 40 at the time, but. I've had a lot of friends come to me and say, am I doing this wrong? So what to say and not to say when someone is going through something where, like we said, pulled, the rug is pulled out from under you. And how do you support a friend when you don't actually, you haven't experienced it yet? Because I've had people who say, "When are you going to get over it? I'm like, this is like three weeks after when I've witnessed this and I'm laying on my couch still. and like, get the fuck away from me <laughs> like what do you think you are give me my time my space my grief like you like it was awful
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's what that chapter is all about yeah. it's called awkward times awkward people right <laughs> and the truth is it's like look sometimes we're going to be the awkward people so there's there's certainly no shaming but it is helpful to understand some of the things that um you may hear that'll really be soul rattling and some of the things that you know you may say if you don't know what else to say because the what I why I called it awkward times awkward people is when we're scared, when we're nervous, when we're freaked out because we think we're gonna get it wrong, we do awkward things. You put word we put words together that are never supposed to go together, like what was said to you. And so um, I gave a whole list in the book and I was giving a keynote recently and I and I read from it and there was just audible gasps in the audience because it sounded so harsh, but it's these things are so common and so many of the people afterwards, and this was like 1500 people, came up to me and said, I've heard that and more and just thank you for even... Putting word those words out there. Um, you know, when are you going to get over it? That's a big one. And you answered it earlier when you said there is no timeline, you know, and what I would say is there's no over, there's through. Um, this is the, a piece that I will always experience. I'll always experience grief around this. And that doesn't mean I can't create joy around it, new experiences around it, meaning around it, fulfillment around it. But that piece, there's there's a wound there. You know, it's like I'm always gonna feel um, the loss of my father, and that's okay. Uh, so to be expected to to get with the program and get back to your normal, you know, fluffy, fancy self is ridiculous. So that we just have to understand. Um, sometimes, you know, here here are a few other ones. You'll have another baby. I wanted this baby. There's other fish in the sea. I don't want fish. I want my person. Um, it Everything happens for a reason. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. I mean, do you, I could go on and on and on. And I think that some people might say like, but I really resonate with, it doesn't happen to me. It happens for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always do say, because growing up with a schizophrenic mom and dealing with her, my own stuff because of that, I I always say I don't regret. I, I can't change anything. And I love the woman I became because of the hardships I had. So I guess in a way I would be like, I had to. To come to it doesn't happen to me, it happened for me, (laughs) but I don't know who I would be. And I, I, you know, even with I was with my mom her last few days, and she was all about regret, regret, regret. And I just let her know that, like, she raised, but not being there necessarily. And it wasn't her fault what happened with mental illness, uh, that she was able to raise a beautiful daughter, and she should be proud.
0: Yeah. Well, that's just so beautiful that you were able to give her that experience. Deeply, deeply beautiful and um, and deeply healing on levels that neither one of us can even imagine, um, I think we just have to be thoughtful about what we say because we don't know the other person's beliefs, and so um, I think that's the probably the biggest thing that I would share is like one of the things that would come for me is say, You know, why are you so upset? It's only a dog. <sighs>
1: I have five dogs and they are my children. (laughs) But you know what I've found too? Because when you're any of those things that you listed off that people may say because they don't know what to say and they're uncomfortable, they might not remember it. But I've, after going through therapy and I remember those things in my brain and I hold on to it. And in my head, I'm like, how could you like say such a thing as when are you going to get over it? But then when I talk to that person about it, I don't even remember saying that.
0: Yeah. So what do we do instead, right? First, we don't shut down and feel bad and like feel like we can't do anything and we won't get it right and you know or feel guilty because you're like oh damn I, I've said that we've we've all done these things we've all done unconscious things it's okay we forgive ourselves and you know try to do better next time I think what I have experienced and certainly talking with a lot of people who've gone through grief is especially patients is. Listening is probably the most important and kindest thing that you can do for somebody. Really bringing your full presence to the conversation. And, you know, we don't want to beat ourselves up. We don't want to shame ourselves. We don't want to, you know, be unforgiving towards ourselves because we always make mistakes. It's just about doing better next time. And so, one of the things that I talk about in the book is really being courageous about acknowledging what's happening. So courageous acknowledgement saying, I am so sorry for your loss. Because sometimes we don't know what, we don't even address it, right? We hide or we try to change the subject or we make it all about us. Like a lot of stuff happens when we're awkward people. And so being able to say, I am so sorry, being able to listen as opposed to filling the conversation with your own anxiety and your own things that even if you think they're positive things, the other person probably may not be ready to hear any of it. They just need a shoulder. Um, And then the last thing I'll say is, is actually showing up, right? So it's sometimes, I know I've done this in the past of like, oh, let me know if you need something, Mm -mm. (laughs) right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. Yeah.
0: I I I need you to decide actually because I'm in decision fatigue. Yeah. Could could you just offer to pick up groceries or or walk the dog? Like just just offer something as opposed to like putting it out to them and then running away.
1: Bring me some food. Come walk my dog. Come play with them. Come hold my hand. I don't know what I want at this moment and I don't need to and yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I, and it's really good for, I think that's a lot of good information for people to hear too. Because then I I have um, one of my best friends, he was like, am I saying this wrong? Because it'll be about like mental health because he's one of the guys. He's like, yeah, well, just get over it. He's like, wait, I shouldn't say that, should I? I'm like, no, you can't say that. <laughs> he's like, okay, I need you to teach me. So I'm going to send him this podcast. <laughs> but. So I know this has been kind of a heavy conversation. Um, I want to know five very unique things about Chris Carr that maybe nobody knows, like fun things. Oh,
0: geez. Fun things that nobody knows about Chris Carr. My gosh, that's a great question. I love... um interior design. So part of my grief process was like redecorating my house um, because it's just so lovely to be able to go, I am going to make a room beautiful. I am going to put creativity into my space. I'm going to create a sanctuary where I can heal. And um, that's something that I've been doing for quite some time because... Just makes me happy.
1: It's an art, and I always say like art is a great place for your mental health. My mom was an artist, and I have all her paints. And I, I, I have to do art as well and paint, but I haven't done it in two years. But I finally, slowly, have set up an art table, brought out some of her paint brushes. I got paints, and I'm like almost there. Like painting to me is so therapeutic.
0: Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, that's incredible. But then
1: a beautiful space, Like, and I see, is this your office behind you?
0: This is my office behind me. And before you came on, I, my husband helps me, like your husband helps you. And I was like, I think I want an accent wall with wallpaper here. And then you came on. and <laughs> <laughs> Like, I think I want a seagrass. I think I need a Philip Jeffrey. He's like, okay, honey, we got to do the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but You've got plants. I just bought like a whole bunch of plants for my favorite room in the house where I, was, where I meditate, where I read, where I open the doors and have the fresh air. Like it's just creating a special little Zen place for you is really important. Yeah, I
0: totally agree with you. You know, I also love scary movies. So that's the second thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love scary movies. I, I watch scary movies oftentimes with my best friend because she's the only person who will watch them. My husband won't watch them with me. And, Same. And my Sheila, husband hates them. <laughs> completely. And, and when I tell people, I'm like, that's not good for your nervous system. And I'm like, I, it, I actually think it is in some ways. It flexes my nervous system. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that would be a second thing, and 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 I just want to come back to what, what you said because, you know, I believe this to be true, and I know it can be true for quite some time. Um, that this is like when you said this is a really heavy conversation. I was talking to my friend Gabby Bernstein recently, who you probably know. And yeah, she
1: was on the pod. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, and and um, we were talking about how her last book, Happy Days, and this book, I'm Not a Morning Person, um, is actually are both of our biggest books about manifesting Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and biggest books about living fully Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and biggest books about creating beautiful lives. And I think that a lot of times people shy away from these conversations or these books, or I I remember Karina, when I was talking about writing a book about grief and publishers were saying, grief doesn't sell. Are you sure?
1: Mm, mm. Oh, I've gotten that. When I wrote my memoir about growing up with a schizophrenic schizophrenic mom and my suicide attempt and drug use and misuse and then coming out over it. And I had two toned up books, New York Times bestseller and publishers were like, can you make this more about wellness and fitness and happy? I'm like, no, this is my life.
0: Yeah, and 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 truth is, is to, this is the heart of wellness, you know. And so, I just want to share that because if anybody out there, and and probably not because they're they're tuning into your incredible work and your podcast, so they're more willing to do this work. If anybody out there gets stuck in that idea that this is too heavy to go towards, um, that you know, you lean on that courage because the process of going through is really so magnificent and opens us up to much deeper, richer experiences, I think.
1: Yeah, and it is, you know, I love having those heavy conversations with my friends and then laughing later and just getting together and being like, this is life. <laughs> this is life. It's mess, you know, it's life. <laughs> so three, you have three more things that maybe, fun things that people don't know about Chris Carr.
0: Some things that people don't know about Chris Carr. Um, I like to, I'll just say more things because a lot of the stuff comes out with my best friend. I'd like to threaten her with, by sending her like very um, awful dog figurines. (laughs) Okay. Because she likes a very pruned and, and zen like space with no extra. And so I like to text her terrible terrible figurines of poodles and and um Pekinese and things of this nature so there's another one <laughs> like, it's a very random <laughs> I, love, I love it going, going into the random box here sometimes I think I miss my calling and I I I've fantasized about being an FBI profiler wow um, so that is something because I love watching crime shows and and detective shows and and stuff like that. I'm not good with blood though.
1: Okay. That would be a problem.
0: So that would be a problem. And I have a bit of a temper at times. So that could be like, I'd probably blow my cover. (laughs) You know, Um, I'm not exactly sure, but I do think I might be useful in some way, shape or form.
1: Hey, it's never too late for anything until it's too late.
0: I like your positivity there. (laughs) I like your your sense of encouragement. I think I'm going to pass that on to my husband because he pretty much has shut that down. But... (laughs) Uh, yeah, and and what else? Oh, I played the saxophone when I was a child because my mom wouldn't let me play the drums, and so which was the instrument that I really wanted to play, and so we had to choose another instrument. So I brought the I chose the saxophone, which is a lot worse for a parent to deal with, I think, than drums. I would agree. Is your yeah, does your mom now wish that she let you play the drums? Well, the saxophone only lasted five years, but the, the desire for drums has never gone away. It's never and too late. And so I, that is one of the never too late. This I like because I said, my husband said, what do you want for your birthday? I'm I'm drums, 20, And I said, I want a drum set.
1: Mm-hmm. Drum set and wallpaper.
0: I want a drum set and wallpaper. <laughs> That's it.
1: Was that five? I think so, right? I think we that- hit the five. <laughs> All right. So your new book, I'm Not a Morning Person. Great book. uh, Coming out September 19. And where, if everyone
0: wants more Chris Carr, where can they find you? Oh, thank you. They can go to chriscarr.com and they can go to Instagram, which is at crazysexychris.
1: And we'll put it all in the show notes and all of our social and all the good stuff.
0: Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Breathe in, breathe out.
1: Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Here's to radical self-love The type of love that will defeat anxiety
0: The type of love that defeats depression This is the one life, this is the moment This is the time to dig in To be who you already are The Big Silence Big